back to the Cedarville Stories podcast. My name is Sarah Gump, and I'm a member of the podcast team. For Justin Cole, pharmacy and family are forever linked. Justin, who is assistant professor of pharmacy practice and director of Cedarville's Center for Pharmacy Innovation, grew up in a family of pharmacists and has fond memories of family reunions where his aunts and uncles will talk about their interesting and fulfilling work. Listen to his story now with your host, Mark Weinstein. Welcome back to the Cedarville Stories podcast. I'm Mark Weinstein, your host, and today I am visiting with Dr. Justin Cole, the chair of the Department of Pharmacy Practice and the director of the Center for Pharmacy Innovation at Cedarville University. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Cole. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mark. So for starters, uh, where are you originally from and how did you develop an interest in pharmacy? Sure. So I grew up in a small town in southeastern Ohio called Little Hawking. Um, growing up in rural Ohio was a unique experience for me. Um, I had exposure to healthcare because my mom was a pediatric nurse at one of the local hospitals across the river in Parkersburg, West Virginia. Uh, so I knew about the healthcare fields very early on. I also grew up in a family that had a lot of pharmacists. So I have two aunts, two uncles, and a younger brother who are all pharmacists as well. So I remember going to family reunions and hearing my aunts and uncles talk about all being pharmacists, but their jobs sounded totally different. That piqued my interest as a kid. And I thought, well, number one, everyone must be a pharmacist if they're not a nurse. And then secondly, there seems to be all kinds of different options for the type of jobs you can have as a pharmacist. So it was the influence of my family, clearly, that drew me to being interested in pharmacy. Is it a fair assessment that the role of the pharmacist back then when you were going to these family reunions is vastly different than it is today? Uh, it seems like back then it was more pushing pills. Now it's so comprehensive in the, in the healthcare profession. Yeah, I would agree. The profession of pharmacy has changed quite a bit in the last three or four decades. The whole idea of clinical pharmacy was a relatively new idea back in the 1980s. Most pharmacists either worked in a drugstore or in a hospital. Now the different practice areas are seemingly endless in pharmacy. So for me, that's been pediatric pharmacy since graduation. And so I've been able to specialize in that particular practice as a clinical pharmacist. Let me go back into the more personal side of uh, Justin Cole. I know from spending some time with you, you and your wife, Michelle, attended different colleges. Uh, you were up in Northern Ohio. She was in Northern Indiana. But how did you meet her then? What, what was the connection there? Yeah. So my wife is a graduate of, of Grace College. And the, the short story on how we met is I was in my fourth year of pharmacy school and uh, during spring break had planned on going to Phillips County, Arkansas with Habitat for Humanity. This happened through the school that I went to at Ohio Northern. And my wife, as part of her um, degree in Christian counseling, was required to do a cross-cultural experience. So we had a mutual friend and she invited my wife to accompany us on this trip to Phillips County, Arkansas to help with this Habitat for Humanity trip. The, the funny part about that is nearly every team that we separated into each day included 
my wife with me. So I like to joke that our first date was showing my wife how to use a circular saw. We had a good time getting to know one another. And then a couple months later, formally started dating and would meet in Fort Wayne at times to study together in coffee shops and stayed in touch via um, email and uh, phone calls during that time. How quickly did you know she was the one for you? Well, uh, it, it was it was during that trip. Uh, I remember calling my grandfather, who uh, I'm I was pretty close to, and telling him, you know, I I think I might have met someone that I'd like to uh, partner with for the rest of my life. Did she feel the same way that quickly? Well, in fairness, you should probably ask her. But um, <laughs> you're right. I I think she did. Yeah, she reflected on having similar conversations with her parents that same week, actually. Oh, wow. That's that's a great story. Uh, That's a fabulous story. You're also a personally a fan of the National Hockey League. Specifically, you like the Columbus Blue Jackets. In fact, I even think you may be a season ticket holder with the Blue Jackets. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. Yep. So how is uh, COVID-19 cramping your style because you can't go to, to Nationwide Arena to see the Blue Jackets in person or watch them on TV? Well, that's another family event. So Um, We do have a partial season ticket package. We go to about a quarter of the home games every season, and it really is a great opportunity for me to connect with our kids one-on-one or for my wife and I to get a a date night. So they all take turns going with me to the game. So it's been sad not to have that intentional time with the family. It means a 50-minute drive there and back where we can have really great conversations with one another. So yeah, we've, we've missed hockey quite a bit. We're looking forward to um, being able to do that together. You also have an interest in in worship and leading worship uh, at your church where you attend in Cedarville. Have you always been interested in serving the Lord in this way? Yeah, connecting this back with how I met my wife. Uh, so when we were on this trip in Phillips County, Arkansas, I was the designated worship leader for our team. And my wife happened to be a really gifted pianist. So they stuck us together on yet another team. So she was my pianist while I played the guitar. So I I guess in short, to answer your question, yeah, this is something that um, ever since I was a teenager, I've really felt was important for me to do. All of our lives are meant to be worship. Worship clearly is not just music or singing. Our lives are meant to be lived in worship to God in every moment. And yet God has given us this gift of music and corporate singing that brings us together and allows us to rehearse truths of the gospel to ourselves and to one another. And I love having the opportunity, especially with my wife, to help lead our church in lifting up praises to the Lord together. And again, just rehearsing these gospel truths to one another. So it's something that we really enjoy being able to be a part of at Grace. Yeah, obviously, whether you're leading worship, leading your family, having fun with your family, whatever you're doing, teaching, it's obvious that at the center of all you do is Jesus Christ. Tell us when you first met Jesus and relive that story for us, could you? Yeah, happy to. So... I know this is not a a common experience for everyone, but I did grow up in a family that loved the Lord and I'm talking for generations. I'm fortunate enough to still have a lot of my grandparents around um, even today. And 
they set a foundation of faith in Christ and a foundation of prayer for our family that has really um, set the stage for for the faith that I have and also for the way in which I um, desire to disciple my own um, wife and kids. Through that, I grew up in the church. We were at church every time the doors were open, whether that was Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. And so I felt like for me, for many years, church was just something that everyone did. It wasn't until um, 1996 when I went to a youth event in Racine, Ohio, that when I reflect on it now is, um, is a lot of fun. It was actually hosted by a group of college students from this place called Cedarville College. Oh, wow. That was the time where I really felt the Lord saying, hey, you know about me, but I want you to be my child. I'm choosing you. Will you follow me? And so it was through the gospel proclamation during that simple youth event that was full of games and fun, but also full of truth and hope that the Lord brought me to faith. Mm, What a story. And to see how the Lord has brought you full circle back to Cedarville. And now you're doing the same thing with your students uh, through instruction and through mentoring and, and the like. So, wow, what a story. Thanks for sharing that with us. I want to transition more now toward the pharmacy side of Dr. Justin Cole. I'm interested in knowing we're, we're smack in the middle, hopefully in the middle or near the end of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, We're all self-quarantined for the most part, staying in our homes. I'm interested in knowing how has the pandemic impacted your teaching? Because you've gone from classroom instruction to online instruction and just leading at your department at Cedarville. How has it impacted you guys? You're absolutely right. We've done everything we can to transition the vast majority of our teaching to an online format. And it's been a lot of work. And yet it's been really fruitful. I'm amazed every time I'm with our students through technology, how adaptable they are and also how gracious they are. As as you can imagine, things don't go perfectly every time. Your Zoom poll may not work when you expect it to. The internet connection may not be as solid as you hope it would be, but our students are able to um, roll with that and are doing a fantastic job. I'll tell you that some of the unique things for us have been how do we convert some of the practical skills-based learning to an online format. So one of the really unique things that we had an opportunity to do earlier this week is convert something we call an OSCE to a telehealth format. So an OSCE, just to keep it simple, is an objective, structured, clinical examination. In a nutshell, what we're trying to do is we simulate a real patient environment. We bring in uh, patient actors who are trained to um, interact with our students just like they were a patient in a real care environment. So for our students, we may be placing them in a situation like they would face if they worked in a hospital. One of them, they were a pharmacist in a cardiology clinic. Another, they were a community pharmacist. And then another, they were in a family practice clinic taking care of patients with heart failure. So we had to convert in the matter of a couple of weeks, this whole teaching idea over to a telehealth format. But Mark, the reality of it is that 
I truly believe after doing that, we're preparing them for the practice and the rotations they're going to start in two weeks. The reality is we're seeing telehealth take off and for good reason during this pandemic. So it has impacted us. We've had to be creative, but I'm really excited that I feel like we actually have been forced to prepare our students for a reality they're going to face. And to be honest, I think telehealth is here to stay. And it's very likely that none of these experiences that you just outlined, we would have even tried without this COVID-19 pandemic. Do you see Cedarville specifically maintaining some of these new models that you guys have discovered through telehealth, et cetera, continuing even once we get out of COVID-19? Yeah, absolutely. As I've mentioned, I do believe that the impetus to take on more telehealth functionalities for us, that's going to stay even after this pandemic is done. And so I think it behooves us to prepare our students really well to function in that environment. So I do believe this will be a part of what we do. I don't think, of course, we'll be doing preparing our students all for telehealth. There's still going to be a lot of face-to-face interaction that pharmacists are doing in all these different practice areas. And yet I do think this is a type of delivery of healthcare that we're going to continue preparing our students for each year. Is this a fair statement? As I hear this, I get in my mind that Cedarville pharmacy professors and leadership are willing to be on the front lines, the cutting edge of new ways of teaching and practicing pharmacy. And as a result of that mindset that starts with Dr. Mark Sweeney, the, the dean, and trickles all the way through to the pharmacy faculty, is that's a reason why, for example, in a recent placement, I forget what's the exact name of it, but the placement where the rate is higher than the national average of Cedarville pharmacy graduates. Does that make sense? Is that accurate? Yeah, I I agree with you. I think that's a big part of it. So yeah, our, our recent graduates had the second highest residency placement rate in the country out of 144 schools. Super impressive, 30% above the national average. We are incredibly proud of our students. And I think part of their success goes back to some of the ways in which we've prepared them. So we talk, live, and breathe innovation in the school. And as you mentioned, a lot of that starts with our dean. We talk about what can we do that's different? How can we better prepare our students? And so I think there are a couple practical ways I can share that demonstrate how we value innovation in teaching, not only in the classroom, but also in the clinical setting. So number one, we think pedagogy, how we teach. We are one of the few schools in the United States that use something called peer instruction, which is a different way of teaching in class that allows students to teach one another through discussion at at particular times during the sessions. We also will use case-based questions that make them wrestle with how do I take this information and apply it to a clinical setting. One of my colleagues, Dr. Straw, has already done a, a fair bit of scholarship of teaching and learning in this area, and we've seen some real successes in that particular area. Another thing that demonstrates innovation for us I believe is the fact that every single one of our students 
does research with a faculty member that gets published or shared in some venue before they leave school. That is so incredibly important because when we look at the skills that are learned by completing a three-year-long research project with a faculty member, the students learn interdisciplinary collaboration, how to work with a team, how to navigate troubles in the research process when they're handled, how to plan effectively to manage a large project, how to do research and then share that in a way that contributes to the whole body of knowledge that helps us take better care of our patients. Our students learn that here and they leave with those skills. Yeah. Did you ever, did you ever think when you were a student at Ohio Northern and one of your professors was Dr. Mark Sweeney, that you'd have the opportunity to work for Dr. Sweeney and experience such great blessings from the Lord as a result. Did that ever hit you as a possibility back then? And what's it like to work with your former professor? The transition to working for Mark for me was probably a little bit unique in the sense that I knew Mark not only as a professor at Ohio Northern, but I knew him as a family man. I knew him as a mentor. And partly that came through being involved with uh, the largest Christian organization on campus when I was there. He was the faculty advisor for that organization. So I got to know not only his, um, his wife, Patty, but also I got to know their kids. And a, a super quick, funny story. We had a um, business proposal that I had to do for one of my last uh, classes in pharmacy school. And his son, Ben, actually helped us out with our advertising video for that project. So I, I got to see the professor, Mark, the leader, Mark, but also the Christian, Mark, and the father and husband, Mark. Did I ever think I would work for him? Not necessarily. And in fact, Mark, I never really saw myself getting into academia so quickly either. I, I really thought that I was going to continue in pediatric clinical practice for years and years. But the Lord, by his grace, used so many relationships over the years to lead the right people to the right positions here at Cedarville. And I'm super thankful for the Lord doing that work in us. Yeah, I, I would agree. And uh, as a colleague, I'm thrilled that you're here. And the little bit of time that I've got to spend with you has been rewarding and enjoyable. So thanks for um, listening to the call of the Lord on your life to come to Cedarville and, and be part of our really strong pharmacy program. Now, teaching isn't, at least teaching at Cedarville, is not your only role that you play in life. You also work a couple days a week at Rocking Horse Community Health Center in Springfield. What do you do there? And then in, in light of the pandemic, you know, how has that shaped what you do at Rocking Horse? Yeah, so I am really blessed to um, be a new member of the pediatric behavioral health care team at Rocking Horse. So Rocking Horse is a federally qualified health center, and a large majority of their patients are actually kids that they care for there. So in, a, in summary, some of the work that I do is I get to um, help consult with the pediatric behavioral health providers on um, helping to make pharmacotherapy recommendations, essentially picking the best drug for each child when 
Drug therapy is needed for any behavioral concerns that they or the family have. That involves getting to do a whole host of things. It might mean doing visits with the provider. So I sit in um, and we do what we call shared visits with the families. Sometimes that's a provider's coming in simply asking for an opinion or a recommendation on drug therapy. But what I like to think of myself doing is helping to look at all the factors that can play into which medication might be best at this time for a child. And that includes pharmacogenomic information. So um, I get to analyze all the pharmacogenomics reports, any drug levels. So if we check the amount of drug in a person's blood, I get to help interpret those and then adjust doses. So it is, it's a blessing. It's a lot of fun to work with the providers there. They're fantastic. And to contribute to helping to optimize the therapy for these kids. Now, hasn't in recent days or weeks because of the pandemic, it's shifted more from in-person visits to telehealth? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So if we look at an average day for the pediatric behavioral health team, they typically will see 25 to 30 people. And before the pandemic, nearly every one of those patients would come into the clinic. When I was there earlier this week, over 90% of all the, of the visits were done using telehealth technology. And the providers up there have been so fantastic in embracing it the families have been really appreciative of it too. So it has been a night and day change from no telehealth to over 90% telehealth in this particular area. How does that experience help you on campus? So when we were doing our patient simulation that I talked about earlier, before we even started, I took a couple moments to tell our students, this is real life. This is the reality that I'm living at my clinical practice and the reality that other pharmacists, other healthcare providers are living as well. And so when you can bring that context to the classroom, it helps the students understand why you're doing it. And for most of us, if we understand why we're doing something, we are more likely to really invest our effort and time to being prepared to do it well. I have time for maybe two or three more questions. So I want to move to a recent research grant that you were recently uh, presented related to vaccines. That's great news. How will this grant be used at Cedarville? One of my colleagues, uh, Dr. Alita Chen and myself, we are interested not only in vaccinations and how they're used and when they're used, we're interested in understanding what influences a parent when they make decisions regarding whether their child will receive a vaccine or not. Behind this whole research question is the understanding that we as people don't just make health decisions based on information, we make decisions based on our beliefs, not only about the information we get, but also our cultural, our religious beliefs. And so we strongly feel that when we look at the decisions parents make for their kids regarding vaccines, that's the most important factor. Most of the time for healthcare providers, what do we do if we want someone to make a particular health decision or health behavior? We give them information, but we don't often sit down and take the time to listen to the family, ask them what their beliefs are, and help them to have an informed understanding 
as part of that whole context. So what we're trying to do is to um, create a new tool that allows healthcare providers, nurse practitioners, physicians, physician assistants, and pharmacists and nurses all to have these dialogues with the family that recognize and value their beliefs and also at appropriate times, give them medical information that also will help them to consider the decisions they'll make for whether their child will receive a vaccine or not. We really hope that this research is a win for healthcare providers, giving them a tool to share information about vaccines um, and to explore health beliefs with families. We hope it's a win for our students who are involved in learning how to conduct high quality research. And ultimately, we hope it's a win for the families that we're serving through these efforts. Given that we're in this COVID-19 pandemic, I'm interested, and since you had this research grant on vac- related to vaccines, what's your perception of a possible vaccine for the coronavirus? Yeah, excellent question. I'll be honest, I'm amazed at the technology we have available to us today to identify targets that will lead to great vaccinations. There are some groups out there that are using artificial intelligence and they're gathering large amounts of molecular data to help to design vaccines that are more likely to be successful in clinical trials earlier. We already see that at least one major clinical trial has started and it's going to take time to get that data back to see if it's both safe and effective to be used um, amongst, uh, amongst the population. But I truly am hopeful that we will have a vaccine. Now, the time frame is still up in the air. I'm hearing 12 to 18 months, which is still really fast for a vaccine. Most vaccines take much longer to be developed. But if there is one that seems to be both safe and efficacious, I think, of course, the FDA, the WHO, and many other organizations are going to try to do their best to fast track that. I have time for one more question, and it's the question that I, I end uh, these podcasts, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic, what is the Lord teaching you right now as you read and study his word? So uh, that's an excellent question. How much time do we have, Mark? I guess that's uh, what I would ask you. But um, before I actually answer the question, I guess uh, the first thing I would share is that my wife and I have been taking advantage of Chris Miller's Old Testament lectures online in the evenings. And that has been such a blessing. We've been learning a ton through those lectures, and I'd highly commend them to to anyone. But when it comes to personal study, I tend to think of myself as an introvert. You could lock me up and uh, give me a good book, and I would read for hours. And yet I found myself in this time of isolation having a real longing for genuine Christian community. I long to be with my family that are scattered around the country. I long to be with my church body, particularly with our small group at church. It's almost felt like a time of involuntary fasting. So I found my affections being sharpened for being with the people of God, which has been a really healthy thing. I'm also challenged, though, to think through when things return back to normal, whatever that may look like after this pandemic, there's still sin and disease and brokenness in the world that is going to remain until Christ returns. And so both of these realities, the isolation and also just the reminder of the brokenness of this world, 
has increased that longing for Christian community now, but I think it's also increased my longing for the return of Christ when he's going to make all of these things new. I've been reading the Psalms more than anything during this time. And I'm struck that in reading the Psalms, there is this theme of messianic anticipation. The Psalms are looking forward to the coming Messiah and the salvation that he will bring. That leads some of the Psalms to be songs of praise to the God who keeps his promises and is full of steadfast love and faithfulness towards his people. That they also are songs of lament, looking at the sin within our own hearts and the effects of sin in the world. But both of these create this anticipation for the coming Messiah. We're sitting now on the other side of history in relation to the coming of Jesus Christ. But it struck me that when I live my life, I should have that same hopeful expectation for my heavenly home. One of my friends calls it homesickness for heaven. That's something I should be living with every day. I should also be lamenting the brokenness of sin in my own heart and the brokenness that we see in the world. So that's been something the Lord is teaching me, not only that I need Christian community, but also that I should be longing for the day when the fellowship that I have with God himself is perfect and complete when Christ returns a second time. I should be praying for that hoping for it, expecting it. I am so encouraged by hearing you say that. As I talk to other people on the podcast, as I reflect personally, I resonate with what you said 100%. You know, I resonate with the idea of longing for the Lord's return. And I also think as we walk and navigate through this journey of of the pandemic, that my plans are not necessarily his plans, and his plans are right and perfect. Those are the two places where I rest, uh, on a, I try on a daily basis, and it's hard sometimes, but uh, the Lord is, is right and perfect, and I long for that perfect home when he comes. So I thank you for sharing that. I thank you also for being just transparent throughout the podcast. Uh, as I said at the very beginning, I've appreciated you. Uh, from the times that we spent together. And you're just a breath of fresh air. And I'm just so thankful that you joined me on the podcast today. Thanks, Justin. Yeah, it's been a joy, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Cedarville Stories podcast, brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by this conversation, like I was, please share this episode with a friend. If you know of an awesome Cedarville story, share it with us. We would love to showcase how God is at work in the Cedarville family. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another Cedarville story for God's glory.